Hello, I'm Michael Climes, and I'm the acting editor of Money Marketing. And I'd like to welcome you to our newest episode of the Consumer Duty and Protection podcast series, which we're doing with our sister publication, Mortgage Strategy, in association with Raw London. Hello, um, I'm Amanda Smith, feature writer, and um, I'm joined by the team from Rural London and also a financial advisor who's going to be introducing herself in one moment. So over to you, guys. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Shelley Reid. I'm Senior Intermediary Development and Technical Manager at uh, Royal London. I, I think I've got the longest title in the industry. But uh, yeah, I have a great job talking to advisors all day, every day about all things protection and how we at Royal London can help to have those compelling protection conversations. And hi, I'm Robin Allen. I have a company called Robin Allen Solutions and I'm a protection only advisor. So it's all I do all day. <laughs> Great. Thanks for your time, both of you. So today we are going to talk about the consumer duty. Um, we know that it applies to firms of all sizes. So we're going to look at um, today, we're going to look at how protection advisors can start getting ready for the changes and what they have to do in advance and how providers can support them. So if I can just sort of kick off our discussion by, you know, reminding ourselves, you know, what is the consumer duty trying to do? And, you know, what do protection advisors need to be aware of and maybe sort of, you know, do differently to how they currently do it to satisfy the new rules? Um, Shelley, if I can start with you, because I know we talked before and you mentioned this being a shift from a rules-based approach to one based on outcomes. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I, th- I think, as, as you just said, um, the FCA are looking to um, put advisors to put themselves in the shoes uh, of their clients and, you know, make sure they have the best outcome. And I'm sure, you know, like Robin, you do that all day, every day. But but I think it's just a matter of really focusing the advisor on the outcomes of the clients. Would that want to be, would that would that happen to you? What what have the outcome? Would that be the ideal situation for you know if it was you or your or or your family? Um, but obviously we're we're a bit unclear about everything at the moment. We're still in consultation stage, but uh, I, I'm sure we'll discuss more of that as we go through this morning. Well, how about from your side then, Robin? This this keeps reminding me of all those years back when we changed over with GDPR because it was one of those things that certain people were incredibly panicked about and other people went, eh, I'm already doing it. And for advisors like me, I'm part of the, eh, I'm already doing it. What we have to do is educate the advisors that aren't quite there. They are still tick boxing. They are still just doing the bare minimum because that's their process, that's the way they've been trained, that's the way they like to do it, and start bringing them along. And it's it's the same as when GDPR changes, it's the same when anything changes. It's, it's going to be them that are impacted the most. And it's just sharing, I think, our best practices, how we overcome those barriers that they think are there that we just don't deal with. So I think it's going to be a lot of talking and a lot of education. 
Yeah, and we definitely at Royal London want to be, you know, involved in that coaching and ed- education of how to have those real compelling protection conversations. And you're absolutely right, Robin. I think for the majority of advisors, they are already, as you are, you know, doing a great job and, and doing all those things. I, I think we just need to be mindful of how we record that. And and also for those advisors who don't have that protection conversation, whether it's their mortgage advisors or a wealth or pension advisor, then just just not having that conversation is not an option any longer. Can I just sort of jump on with a question there, if that's okay? I mean, I don't know which one of you kind of want, wants to answer this, but I was just wondering, you know, will it change the traditional triggers? Because as I understood it, you have the protection conversation when someone, I don't know, has a child or, you know, buys a property or something like that. But if you've kind of got to be you know, constantly looking at it, do you think that's going to change the triggers? I mean, obviously, they'll still be there. But Robin, what do you think? It should absolutely change the triggers because that way of thinking personally should be drop kicked out the window um the solutions in my opinion need to be a living breathing thing we need people to be educated in what their financial safety net is understand yeah there are certain triggers you've you've gone and got a new job and you've got a pay increase but we should also be encouraging just because we're putting in place long-term products doesn't mean there shouldn't be an annual biannual review of just going, right, how's your life changed? Because sometimes it isn't a new job. Sometimes it's been a lifestyle change. Sometimes it's been they're fitter and healthier. They've changed the way they live their life. They travel more. All of these things can also impact what they need, what their priorities are. It doesn't just have to be kids and work. It's their entire life. Yeah. And just to add to that, Robin, I couldn't agree more. Um, And in most people's lives within a period of time, things do change, all of the things that you just said. But I think it's educating uh, consumers to know that these plans are flexible enough now to change as their life evolves. So whether it is, you know, their marital status, their family, you know, um, change of job, change of lifestyle, as you say, uh, an improvement in health, whatever it might be, it's knowing that these plans are flexible enough to evolve with their lifestyle. So kind of continuing slightly on with that thing and just wondering you know whether the consumer duty women advisors now have a regulatory duty to look beyond basic life cover mortgages sorry um you know do they have to look beyond the bare minimum I guess they should be doing that anyway but you know I'm thinking looking for different types of cover as well things that maybe people are not necessarily aware of because they're aware of life cover but you know should they be doing that now Yes. What do you think? Yes. Just yes. Big fat yes. And if they're not already, they're doing their clients a disservice and (laughs) might be coming across as quite harsh. But I've had a client recently who they've now got cancer for the second time. The first time around, they had a successful critical illness claim. So those policies have ended. They still have life cover in place. Um, But I did an accident policy as well after that occurrence to say at least we have something. They're now making a hospitalization claim. So that was because I took the holistic approach and I went, right, this is important. We know that we need this. So they've been financially supported through both events. Yeah. Had I just done life cover, because that was the bare minimum they needed because they had a mortgage, 
they wouldn't be in that situation. Yeah. And I I think it's so important, as you say, Robin, to have that conversation over and above just cheap and cheerful life cover, because we, you know, all of us in our industry know, and I think it's our responsibility to talk to clients about the risk, chance and probability of not dying prematurely, but getting a critical illness or indeed the even bigger chance of being maybe less poorly, but needing to take some time off work. Um, and it's looking to cover those eventualities. If if one of those impacts um, would mean that they're in a tricky situation, then there needs to be that conversation to uh, put some protection in place. I always say, unless they've had a lottery win, they really need to have the conversation. I spoke to somebody recently who thought they had full critical illness cover for their mortgage. They didn't. They were a bit shocked. Suddenly their budget for what they needed to put in place shot up and that was their doing yeah 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 and and you're right Robin I mean I uh, I think that it shows that protection needs advice it's not something that you can just buy from a leaflet in the supermarket or go online it needs advice around that not just because of explaining the risks and chance and probability of making a claim but also some of the terminology um i i have some friends who are you know professional people they were adamant that they had critical illness cover where i knew for the premium it it wasn't possible and they'd got terminal illness cover but that's easy to mistake for someone who's not talking about it every day like we are that is that is so common because it, it's that question isn't it they're like yep we've got critical illness cover and you ask for the premium and they tell you and internally you're going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't but I'm not just going to throw this at you I'm going to get you to get your documents and we're going to read it through and I'm going to get you to read it to me and but it's also understanding that what their mate has isn't what they need. Because when people come to me and they're going, I, I need critical illness cover. Now, internally, I'm going, oh, my God, great. Like, you are getting there. You know you know, you need stuff. But once we've sat and had a conversation and we've looked at everything and we've looked at it in the context of their life, not their mate's life, they've gone, I need income protection. I, that that needs to be my number one. Then I'm more bothered about life insurance. Then I'm more bothered because everybody has their own thing. Because we talk every single scenario and go, right, if this happened, what are you willing to do? What sacrifices are you willing to make, if any? And then how would this particular element support? Yeah. And it's important to take that time. And I think bringing this back to our core subject of consumer duty today, um, you know, putting yourself in that client's shoes, um, Robbie, you you wouldn't want your client to walk out of that door just having life cover because you know that they're going to be in a vulnerable situation. And I think that's one of the things that consumer duty is going to be fabulous for our industry is uh, just showing that you've got to have that protection conversation and it's got to be a real robust conversation, not just mortgage protection. Jelly, um, could you also talk talk through about um, you know, what steps advisors could do? I mean, is there a checklist? You know, should there be a consumer duty checklist? You know, what could they do? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure 
about a checklist, I think maybe for those advisors, Robin, you might agree with me, those advisors who aren't having that conversation, then some sort of pointers or a process to go through might be a good idea. Um, and we don't know just yet how it's going to be implemented, do we? But I think if we can get advisors to look at um, the different stages, not just the now, we're not looking at just arranging that mortgage or putting that 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 money into a pension. We need to be looking at protecting the future. Um, then. It's difficult, I think, to have a checklist, but I, I think the idea is to make sure that we're lo looking at all of those stages, making sure that we're, if we're not going to have that conversation, we're signposting to uh, someone, either someone else in the firm who is a protection expert, or indeed making that big decision to refer to someone, you know, like yourself, Robin, who is a protection expert and will, will be comfortable with talking to clients about this and also have that knowledge of knowing that if a client does throw you a bit of a curveball that they've got complicated medical history or a dangerous job, then, um, you know, a, a protection expert will know which providers are going to be a best fit for them. Right. Um, could we also talk about um, tools and resources and stuff? Because there's a lot of stuff out there. And when I was looking at the consumer duty and I tried to wade through, is it 240 pages of the uh, feedback document there? So I managed to sort of skim that. But um, when I was looking at it, it occurred to me that, you know, cash flow planning and that sort of thing is probably really going to come into its own. You know, for advisors in general, you know, not specifically for protection advisors. But, you know, what tools and stuff are there in the protection space that you know, people can use? Um, Shelley, can I ask you? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we uh, we pride ourselves on uh, having a website that is there for advisors to help them to have those compelling protection conversations. So um, if I just pick out two or three things, I think one of the main things and one of my favourite things is the marketing studio. Not so much for the marketing support, although that's excellent. What I'm referring to today is for the risk reports. So they, I think, help advisors to have that compelling protection conversation outside of just live cover by showing a, a personalised risk report that will give the percentage chance of dying prematurely, of being diagnosed with a critical illness, or indeed having to have take two months or more off work. And then it will roll it all up with an overall percentage of one of those things happening to the client within their working life. So I think um, that's a really great tool to be able to to show clients the risks that they face and then obviously being able to step in with some of the uh, solutions there. I think we haven't mentioned it today, but trusts have come into the conversation or quite a bit or the um, consultation paper. And again, we're, you know, we're great advocates of writing protection plans in trust. Um, and one of the things that we have amongst all the support is help for advisors to make sure they get the right, uh, the right trust document. And I think finally, the, the you know, although I could wax 
probably all morning lyrical about all of the support that's available. Probably the other thing I think is really important is a very easy to use menu solution. So it allows advisors, Robin, I'm not telling you anything new here, but it allows advisors to be able to build a protection portfolio that suits their client now and that's able to be flexible enough to change as their life evolve. But it, it enables um, advisors, I think, you know, quite easily to build up a protection portfolio that will cover all eventualities and all of the risks that they might face. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Shelley. So, Robin, can you give your perspective on what you think providers can do to help advisors yeah I think the tool the tools are already there in terms of the facts like this is the percentage chance you've got of having this event happen to you this is the numbers this is how much you'd pay the factual stuff is there what I think advisors are going to need support with is how to tackle the feelings-based conversations because the protection conversation is feelings based. It is. Tell me how you'd feel if you couldn't go on your holidays because you were in treatment. Tell me how you'd feel if you had to turn around and tell your kids they couldn't go to karate class because your income has dropped so significantly you can't afford to send them. So I think going forward, being able to tackle those harder conversations is probably something that it needs to be talked about more because I think a lot of the time if some advisors are honest with themselves the reason they avoid the conversation is they don't know how to do that bit they don't know how to send something out into that conversation and then be able to just sit and wait for the answer and force the answer because without that dialogue and without that closeness with the client you'll miss the mark every time can I ask you Robin is it you know, real people that kind of get this, this going because I'm just thinking for me personally, when I read real stories of people that have been through this, suffered hardship and they've had, you know, some sort of insurance at the end of it, a protection product, whatever, or they haven't, you know, that is such a difference in the outcomes and that's what we're talking about today. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do we need to start sort of talking about it in terms of real people? Yeah. I actually had a client message me last week. Um, they just wanted to confirm um, what covers they had in place because they're getting some of their ducks in a row because the other parent of their children has passed away and they didn't have any ducks in a row. They didn't have any policies. And they're now as the other parent, despite the fact they were no longer together, they're the ones wading through it. Yeah. So they, all that's done is reinforced with them that what they've done by setting their policies up was the right thing to do. But when they've ended the email, well, you should use them as an example of how not to set everything up before you die. Because they didn't do anything. So they're wading through stuff. There's debts that they've now got to go and like, talk to people about. So we need to see both sides of the fence. It's great seeing the stories about how the insurance has helped people. We also need to see the reality of what happens if we didn't have the insurance. If you didn't have that conversation, this could be your client. Yeah. 
as I say, I personally find that really the most effective and powerful thing, you know, reading about other people. And I think, I guess we all do. That's the kind of human interest element, isn't it? So Yeah, you. Re- I think you relate it to your own personal situation then, don't you? And and it does bring home, as you said, Robin, you know, how would, how would my family cope in that situation? But I think stories, um, you know, real life stories are so, so powerful. Um, and I know most providers, us included, you know, have examples on our advisor website of you know added value services how they've helped etc when you know the worst happens great brilliant well I think we're probably at the end of our time so thank you Robin and thank you Shelley and see you soon okay thank you In the next episode, we'll be discussing how the consumer duty will benefit clients and their families and taking a closer look at what is meant by good outcomes in terms of protection. And if you want to read Royal London's research report, Counting Down to the Consumer Duty, or get tools and resources to support your protection conversations, visit advisor.royallondon.com slash building resilience. See you next time.